Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. One year ago today, Baby Cohen was in Children's Hospital, and it was a real fight. And you're going to hear about how real that fight was here. But today's a celebration day, and we're going to, and I just think it's appropriate to take a year later and to stand up and take Baby Cohen and say, look what God has done. So uh, thanking God for, you know, Hannah and Talon and Baby Cohen, but also thanking God for his miracle. Would you just put your hand together and welcome them this morning as they testify for the Lord. Howdy. Goodness. So we'd like to share Cohen's story. Uh, it's a year later and we haven't talked about it, the full thing, publicly, and we'd like to do that today. Um, Hannah and I are probably going to cry because it was a very, um, it was a very tough situation. Before we get into any of that, what we'd like to do first is thank you for the support that you gave my family and my house. Prayers, money, care packages were sent. The support that we felt from all of you was so tremendous, and it really helped us get through it. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so very much. But we want to talk about Cohen's story. We want to give a, a kind of a, a, I would say, a detailed summary of everything that happened, and then we wanted to talk about what the Lord showed us in that very hard time. So before, before we get started, I just want to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so, so very thankful for getting Cohen through. We're so very thankful for getting us through. And Father, we honor you for what you did and what you are doing in our son. We bless you, we honor you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you want to start? Yeah. So, um, I think it was last week I was preparing for this moment mentally and it's been very very challenging um, there were things that happened that going through it again in my mind I had forgotten until we were preparing for this moment so it's been really challenging um, but I was reading like my normal everyday Bible reading and um, I was like, well, it'd be really cool if there was a scripture passage that summarized the entire situation. 
And I was like, well, that'd be a cool testimony. And then I was like, well, Hannah, stop and pray. Like, it was kind of one of those things, like, duh. So um, I was reading in Psalm 107 at that moment, and I had gotten through probably the first five verses, and I didn't see what I was reading. So I stopped, prayed that prayer, and then went back to reading, and my answer was in that chapter. So that was really, really cool. But um, the first two verses... says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. So those were the first two verses. Very excited, because that's exactly what we're doing right now, telling his story. But my summary is in verses 13 through 15, and it says, In their distress they cried out to the Lord. He saved them from their troubles. He brought them out of the dark, out of death's shadow. He broke apart their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord because of his mercy. He performed his miracles for Adam's descendants. So that was like, whoa, a download of like literally from beginning to the end. This is, that's the summary. So um, we're going to go through the detailed um stay of, of the order of everything and um, tying in the spiritual things in the middle of it will probably feel overwhelming so we're just going to tell the literal story and then we'll go into what the Lord spoke so so we had no idea anything was wrong until Was it February 3rd? Cohen was not himself. And I told y'all guys I'm going to cry a lot, probably. But he wasn't himself. We knew something was very wrong when he was crying for a bottle or crying to be fed and he could not nurse and he could not take a bottle. He was trying, but he couldn't. We called his pediatrician. This is about 10.30 that night, 10.45 that night. We called his pediatrician, and Hannah was on the phone, but already I had pretty much made my mind up that we're about to go to Children's. We're not going to fool with the ER here. We're out of here. So the pediatrician was kind of wishy-washy. Uh, maybe you could. I'm out of town. I can't see him right now, uh, yada, yada. And Hannah says, do we take him to children's? And, well, you can. All right. So we hit the road. Hannah checked his temperature before we walked out the door. 96? Yeah, it was 96 at the time, but it was just dropping. His body temp was 96. It was very cold. So we got on the road. Hannah's in the back seat with him. He's in the car seat. And I told Hannah, I said, I need you to trust my driving. 
and so I was moving like I know how to do. Had my flashers on, and away we went. Um, we had the heater on full blast. He's still feeling cold to the touch. Um, Hannah looked up at the road maybe once and said, that's not a good idea. So she continued to look at Cohen and just, you know, praying. We made it to Children's in an hour and 15 minutes. I had one close call with a, um, I don't know if it was a city cop or a state trooper, but I'm on that sort of straight stretch through Sheridan, the new bypass they put in, and I'm blowing through red lights. I don't care, right? And I, I look in my mirror, and I see headlights gaining on me. I look at my speedometer, and I said, well, that has to be a cop. And I had my phone in my lap, ready to dial 911. If I saw the blue lights, I was going to call and say, I have a sick child. I'm heading to Children's. you got a couple options. You can escort me, or you can follow me and arrest me when we get to the hospital, but this train is not stopping. And uh, slowly gaining on me, gaining on me. Uh, I turn the interior light on, and my, ha my hazards, they're on. Uh, got right up on me. I assume he was checking the license plate. But I turned the interior light on, and I motioned like this. And he backed off, followed us all the way out to the end of Sheridan, where you get on to 5.30, and left us alone. And that was the only running I had. We had one other sign that anything was wrong before this. We had purchased an outlet sleep sock that was used. And a week before all this happened, it goes off saying, your baby is in distress. Go check on your child. <laughs> and... Uh, it said his, uh, how low was his oxygen? His oxygen was 72, is what the sock was telling us. And but, I, go ahead. But it was a used sock, and it's technology. And if you know me, I don't trust technology just because it's technology. So um, we had seen his doctor, and we were looking at him. And 72 is not what he looked like, and it's not what the doctor was telling us. He outwardly looked fine, so we thought that the sock was wrong. That was the Monday before we were at Children's. His oxygen was at 72. So those of you parents, you'll understand the anger that comes over a man looking back on things. Um, our pediatrician at the time, they will not be named, but they have been fired, obviously. 
Um, but they gave us signs of what to look for if your child is having trouble breathing. The soft part of his neck is going to be sucking in. His brisket's going to be all tight. And I scratched my head. I said, like he's doing right now. And they unswallowed him and looked at him. The soft part of his neck is sucking in. His sides are all tight and rigid. Oh, he's fine. With our first child and being naive, we thought she was safe to trust. So we don't know. We we're not doctors. Yeah. We were go we were going by what we were told to do and what is okay and what's not okay. So we're on our way to children's thinking and we got there thinking that maybe he's having some trouble with blood sugar. We had a little a couple run ins with that when he was first born. We were thinking that's what's going on. We had no idea that it was something serious, or as serious as it was. It was obviously serious. Um, so we get there. I swing in, snatch the car seat out, head towards the door, and the security guard, because it's, it's midnight at this point, the security guard says, only one of you can go back with him. So I gave Cohen to Hannah, and this is a uh, divergence in perspective, so we're going to share the story from each of our perspectives at this point. So go ahead with that. You, you, the, the, you. Okay. So Hannah takes him back. I go and park the car, and all I could do... I hurt my hands. I was beating the dash and the steering wheel, screaming Yahweh, because that's all I knew how to, what to do. That's all I could do. And about, it felt like an eternity. I don't know how long it was, but I was eventually able to be escorted back to where my son was. So whenever I got there, checked him in, um, get to the, the desk, the nurses are asking, so what, what's going on, what's this, well, you know, what's going on with him? And um, so as I'm explaining it, I turn the car seat around so they can see him, and they laid eyes on him, their face just, they went like, I mean, pale, I mean, like, you know, they, they just had the serious look instantly, they said, uh, yeah, he's pale, we need to get him back. They took him from me, they're not talking. And they um, went and got another nurse, and they're trying to get him situated, but they're not telling me what they're doing, so I, I know something's bad wrong. And um, so I'm like, okay, do I follow you? And they said, yeah. And so they take him back. We round the corner and walk into the, the ER room. They said, we need a med team. Fifteen people walked in. And um, at that point, we didn't know how serious this was, but I knew based on how they were responding, I was like, Oh my word, is he dying? That's what I was thinking. And um, at this point, Talon's not in there. And so I'm in the back of my mind thinking, Talon's not here, Talon's not here. What's he thinking? Because I know that we're, I mean, scared, if you're just going to be real honest about it. So um, they get him in there, get him, they're working on him. We don't, I don't really know what's going on. They're asking me lots of questions of what, he, what signs, all this stuff. And they're, um, getting him undressed and into the heating lamp. His temp was 92 when we got there, and um, 
later I'll explain more, but his oxygen was actually in the 30s and 40s. Um, once we got to the ICU, that detail I remembered about a month and a half ago. So, um, and it's, it's got a, uh, sound, um, it's got a cool story that ties on to, to the, the oxygen level. But uh, let me just side note and say, with that little, that extreme deprivation of oxygen, and you wouldn't know, like, it, it, that's a miracle. So, part of the story. But um, as, we're, as we're in there, um, I can tell, because they said, once you get back to the room, then Dad can come in. And so, um, I'm being very conscious of that. So, I'm like, okay, can he come in now? And so, they escort him in. Um, this is where the story, I guess, really gets going. Um, there's a lot happening. And um, they are trying to get an IV in him and can't find a vein. So they're sticking him multiple places, and um, they had to get, um, um, what's the word? They had to get a sign of release to um, be able to go to a, a marrow um, IV if they had to, if they couldn't get anything else. But they ended up going through his head. Um, there was an IV at the, at the side of his head. That's what they were able to get into. And... Um, he didn't make a noise when they were sticking him at all. That's how much he had faded. They couldn't feel the pulses in his groin. Um, so um, at that moment, we're like, okay, something's really bad wrong. Um, so, from so I get escorted back into uh, the security guard came and got me. And I walk in. There is what seems to be 20 people on top of my boy. There's two doctors standing there, bouncing ideas off of each other, trying to figure out what's going on. I look at the floor. There's medical trash all over the floor because they don't have time to sit there and worry about where it's going. You undo it. You undo the package, and it goes over your shoulder. You're, that's not what's important at that moment. So the room was a mess. He's naked. He's under the heating lamp. They're poking, prodding. And no noise is coming out of my son. And they're coming over and getting consent from me. Right off the bat, I just walked in, and they're, and they're putting the, the thing that I have to sign off on if they need to go into his bone marrow because they can't get an IV. They managed to get the one in his head, so they didn't have to do that. And next thing I know, there's, a, there's this very nice, very polite, very elegant older lady that's there. She says, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm a social worker. I'm here for you. And I'm thinking, uh, why? I can't say exactly what I was thinking because it's not right. Why is she here? Holy, they think my kid's about to die. And the social worker is here in case that happens. So um, they're trying to figure out, there's one doctor that um, was basically the, the ER doctor of his case, and so she said, um, let me just take a side note, 
Children's is amazing. Um, whew, they are excellent at what they do. They know exactly what they're doing. They are literally like an organism. Every part is doing exactly what they, they know to do. And um, it was quite quite a sight you know, to see them work like that. But the, the head doctor, she says to us that they figured out it's two possibilities what's going on with him. And so they said that it's either a very severe infection or there's heart defects. At this point, we have no knowledge to even expect any sort of news like that. Um, this, his issue was supposed to have been caught at the 20-week anatomy scan whenever I was pregnant. This is the time where it should have been caught, and so he was 17 days at this time. So clearly way behind. So on get, get, catching this. So they say that there's either an infection or heart defects, and our world just shattered. And um, they said, if it's an infection, we're going to go ahead and start the antibiotics um, and just go ahead and get that going while they cultured to see. And um, so on the, the flip side of that, they're also checking cardio at the same time. So cardio brings down their, um, their echo, echocardiogram, and that's when they knew exactly what was going on. Um, and so that cardiologist said, um, we know that he has heart defects, multiple. And it looks like the entire left side of his heart wasn't working. It was small. It was, there was lots of things. But he said, um, it looks like he's going to need a transplant, and that's hard to get approved for babies. And that's what we were met with within an hour of being at Children's. Thinking this is a very simple issue, we're just going to go get something from Children's and come home. And we were met with, we might not walk out of Children's with him tonight. So um, from that point, since they know that cardio is the issue, they're like, okay, we're going to get him up to cardio um, ICU. And so is there anything else about that? Or can we no. go on up? Yeah. Okay. So we, um, we got up to the ICU. That's when they hooked up. Uh, it's called NEARS. They have these stickers that they put on his head and on his back to monitor the uh, brain oxygen levels and kidney oxygen levels. And that's where the brain was showing 30s and 40s. At this point, they wouldn't let us in the room with him. Um, they, they said that his body was under so much stress. They were trying to stabilize him, literally. And so um, they wouldn't let us in the room, but even for like a minute at a time for the first little while. And so we were stuck in a room away from him not knowing what direction this is going to go and um, I had gone to the desk to get something from the nurses and I could see in his room and so you know I'm, I'm a rule follower okay not there so <laughs> I uh, went over to the desk and I'm peeking in the room and looking at the the monitor and um his oxygen's 30s, 40. They were like, we need it to come up to 50s, 60s. Um, 60s and 70s is where they're happy with heart babies. It just blows my mind, but that's, that's where they're happy. So um, I remember standing in that desk, looking at that monitor, and speaking to the oxygen, saying to come up. And in front of my eyes, I watched the number increase. And I said, okay. So I went back to the room. We waited for a while. It was in that moment. Take one more side note to the spiritual side of it. I was sitting in that floor because they want you to rest if you can. Um, and I was sitting on the floor. A picture of him was my lock screen, of course. And um, I am 
in shock, first of all. I'm like, okay, what do, you, what do you even feel? And it's like I'm in denial, like absolutely not. We're not losing him. No way. And, um, but I was scared uh, looking at what was happening. And so I just kept looking at his picture because it's all I could do. It's the only way I could see him. And I remember the Lord speaking, you're going to take that sweet face home. And I said, okay. So it was that moment, the very first night that I, I, I heard from the Lord, and, and that was something that I had to hang on to because um, it was a wild ride after that. So um, when we got to the, the ICU, they, um, there's one particular thing we need to mention about a, a specific detail with his heart. And it's a, a vessel called the PDA, and um, in a baby in utero, they don't, they don't need their lungs yet. So the blood flow that goes usually from the heart to the lung and back to the, lar- the heart, they don't need that. Um, so there's a specific vessel that completely bypasses the route to the lungs, and it just goes straight to the rest of the body. That particular little vessel closes a few days after birth because they don't need it anymore, and now they have their lungs. But with his particular heart defect, when that closed, which actually was longer than it was, it stayed open longer than it was supposed to. Um, but when that closed, all blood flow to um, his entire lower body was cut off instantly. So that's why we saw the drastic effects that were just downhill, downhill, downhill. So they gave him medicine for opening up the PDA, but that particular medicine was probably going to make him stop breathing. And we're like, okay. So they said to get ahead of that, we're going to intubate him um, to make sure that he still has oxygen. And um, so that was that was the day that we, we didn't hear him again for 18 days. Something like that, because whenever... Because he was intubated, one of the things that happens is that, I mean, it's rubbing up against the vocal cords, right? Straight between them. And the vocal cords aren't going to work. So even after he was extubated later down the road, it was still... It was very raspy, and he would open his mouth to cry and no sound was coming out. So it was like a month that we didn't hear our son again. So um, they told us with that medicine that was going to open the PDA to keep him stable for a surgery. Um, They told us that that um, medicine, it might not work. It's called prostaglandins. That's what they gave him to open up that PDA, and it might not work. And at that point, I really don't know anything going on. So it's like, okay, well, if it doesn't work, what are they going to do? Because he needs that open to be able to survive to last to surgery. Anyway, so it didn't work the first time, but they tried again. And um, that opened it up, and they were surprised. (laughs) So um, that was an answer to prayer as well. There were multiple steps throughout this that we knew how to target to target prayer um, through each situation, which we saw lots of answers, and it was awesome. Um, But that's what the PDA is. They had to open it up um, to keep him stable for surgery. They wanted to let him rest. So you want to talk about the team discussing this? So at Children's, whenever they're doing a complicated surgery like Cohen's was, they this just speaks to the excellence of this hospital. They... They, I can't speak for all other departments, but I know that for cardiology surgery, they have two heart surgeons, experts. These guys are awesome. 
but they take turns being the lead surgeon. But before the surgery even takes place, they put a plan together and then present it to a panel of about 30 to 35 doctors who scrutinize the plan. So you have a wide set of eyes on the plan before it even happens. So these guys go into it knowing exactly what to do and what to expect. The very first picture, this is Cohen before the surgery. Um, you can see how swollen he was. Um, the weight that he had been gaining in the first two weeks, um, we thought was weight and turns out it was fluid. Um, so he was very puffy at this point. The little lamb that you see uh, is what y'all prayed over as the prayer cloth. Um, it stayed in the bed with him the entire stay. And, um, Anyway, very, very special. But that was before the surgery. Um, what was actually wrong with his heart? So you have, I'm going to try to be really not technical, but the entire left side was small and it wasn't working properly because with your aorta, that's the artery that takes the blood from your heart to the rest of your body. So it branches. There's branches that go to, the, to your upper body, and then there's one branch that takes the entire blood flow to, the, to your abdomen and lower and all, all, all that, the lower part of the body. So um, a coarctation, that's what he had. It was a narrowing of the aorta. It didn't fully develop, and so it was pinched, and they had to reopen that so that blood flow could go through. That was one defect. The other was there was a hole in the heart between the ventricles and between the atrium. So he had three issues that they were dealing with in the surgery. So um, once they went to the surgery, of course, I mean, I think y'all know it was open heart. Um, they had to go in, um, all that. His chest was open for two days um, after that, which was to allow the um, allow him to lose the fluid because because he was so small, if they would have closed him up immediately, like, you know, normally they do, the pressure would have um, built up around his heart, and then that, obviously, it would not have been good either. So they left it open for a few days to let some fluid drain off. Um, he was medically paralyzed at that point because, clearly, he can't move. He can't wake up with his chest open. Um, that was... Um, anyway, that, that clearly, that was hard. But... Um, I'm trying to be mindful of time. That's why I'm starting to speed up. So um, after his chest was closed, can you fit, move over to that picture? This is, this is um, what he looked like after the surgery. So um, we have not shown these pictures at all publicly, and we felt like it was appropriate to share it today, um, talking about where he is now. And we're going to walk through that process, um, but just wanted you all to see him, that there, there he is. So to give a little description of what you're seeing, on the right side, that's his breathing tube. If you see the incision, there's another tube that comes out right here. That was to drain fluid that was building up. And that's just something that they do with all um, heart operations. That's nothing abnormal. There's two of them there. If you look immediately to the left um, from the one that's below the incision, there's another chest tube, and he still has the scars right there from those. If you look at his head, to the left of that, there's all these tubes and little valves, and you see some pink and red stickers right there. I, 
can't tell you how many different medications Cohen was on. But each line of those is probably taking two to three different types of medication. Um, beside his bed, there was, uh, they're basically pumps um, that pump medications yeah, into these lines. And so each line is taking two to three of those. So he was probably on, you know, any, at any point, probably 16 to 20 different medicines at once. Uh, part of the process with the surgery is um, before they operate, they, they're going to put them on bypass, and then they have to take ice packs and cool his body down to around 40 degrees, and that is to slow metabolic function um, so he doesn't have brain damage. So when he, we see him after surgery, he's cold. He is artificially alive. Um, and we won't show the picture because it's too graphic. But where that incision was, he had a, I forget the name of the stuff, but it basically looks like yellow clear wrap that was over his chest. And you could literally see his heart working. Uh, Us being who we are, we wanted to see it, so they lifted up the, the cloth so we could. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they had the pacing wires there and the pacemaker, the blue things here, um, that, those are the pacing wires. They weren't for sure if they were going to have to um, use them or not, but um, in the recovery, um, that's when everything went wild. So um, they did have to turn the pacemaker on uh, to get his heart in normal rhythm. Um, it went out of normal rhythm. They had to get a different pacemaker. The pacemaker wasn't working. It was quite the ordeal. Very scary. There was a few times that as he was recovering, they were like, we don't know what he's doing. And um, they told us that because he got so sick before we got there, that's part of why he was having such a hard recovery. But, um, but he did. So um, during this recovery, we were also told a... Um, um, oh, I'll, also a nephrologist came in and told us that he also had a kidney defect and we were like what so the left kidney is bigger than the right kidney that is to this day right now um, but they came in and they told us and um, they were like I'm really sorry that we even have to tell you this right now because we're going to deal with it later this is not important right now but you need to know so we're like okay so um, just as a side note to just go ahead and finish that part of it. He is being seen by nephrology on a regular basis there. Um, there's a chance that it will fix itself, so that's what we're praying. Um, that's what we're praying, so we'll leave it at that. And um, also during the recovery, he got pneumonia. Whenever they intubated him the first time, they went through his mouth because it was immediate, like they had to get there right then. When they moved him to surgery, they had to go through the nose because it's more stable and less likely to move. So when they went to the nose, they think that, that a bug that was in the nose got pushed to his lungs and he got pneumonia. Uh, clearly, I'm thinking, pneumonia puts you in the hospital. What happens when you get it when you're here? And um, they were very confident because they said, we know what what um, bacteria it is, we can target it. And um, so him just getting the fluid out of his lungs, that was, you know, quite the ordeal, but he got there. Um, and then at that point, they were 
playing with the oxygen. Once he got stable, they were playing with the oxygen levels to get him off the ventilator. That happened. We moved to step down. The rest of it was working on meds and weaning that and him learning to eat um, orally again because it's a skill that they can lose easily. So um, they told us that the benefit was he had already done it before, so he was going to pick it up again quickly, most likely, but sure enough, he did. And to be able to orally wean after being on a ventilator, they have to make sure that the vocal cords are working and closing like they're supposed to. Um, otherwise, they will... Um, I mean, he'll choke, like, you know, that it's the same route for air and food, so um, they had to make sure that that was working, so ENT comes in, does the scope, and both of them are opening and closing, which was a serious answer to prayer, because the surgery that he had, go ahead. It was miraculous, Yeah. because when they do a heart, uh, where they're operating, there is a, um, there's a nerve that comes down from your brain, through your neck wraps around your heart and goes back up to your vocal cord. So I guess uh, it, uh, from the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, so when they operate right there, there's a high chance that if they bump uh, that nerve, even just bump it, that it can lead to paralysis uh, of the vocal cord. So the fact that they scoped him and his vo both his vocal cords were opening and closing like they should be doing yep. was miraculous. Yes. So he was in the small percentage that... Um that that, it, that that happens. At that point in time, he had been in the percentages that everything wrong happens. Um, and that was the beginning that he was in the percentage that it didn't happen to. Um, and that was the start of um, good news. So we, we did have a few more up and downs, but we ended up moving to um, a different area of the hospital for space in the cardio ICU. And at that point, we were weaning meds, and he was you know, working on his um, milk intake and all that kind of stuff orally. In that process, um, he, we started seeing some weird eye movements. And it was like, um, hold up, skipped a major part. When he was paralyzed, they hooked him up to an EKG during recovery. He had a seizure um, that they only saw because the EKG was there. So they put him on um, seizure medication, and that was for an unknown period of time. So that was something that continued even after we got home. He has been released of that. But um, when those weird eye movements started happening, we're thinking, okay, is he having seizures? What's going on? We finally, uh, that was a process. But when they saw what was going on with him, they said, yep, that's not normal. And um, the, the nurse practitioner ordered a head ultrasound. Head ultrasound showed something and we didn't know what it was. At this point, we're in the cancer oncology hematology unit. That's where we're at. And so when I hear there's your head ultrasound found something, your, my mind automatically went, what is in his brain? So we uh, had to take him down for a CT, and um, it showed fluid. It was just fluid. I said, oh, okay, we can work with that. And uh, so they had to go in and put a brain shunt in. Um, do you want to take it from there? Um, so uh, the, the reason he was having fluid build up in his brain was probably a byproduct of the heart surgery. Yes. Um, so basically the ventricles in the brain uh, weren't opening or... Um, hmm? Yeah, the, 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 the cerebral spinal fluid was building up in his brain um, and couldn't get out. So they had to, um, and if you ever hold Cohen, you can feel it on his head. He still has it. Mm -hmm. It's this little bump right here. Um, 
but what it does is it allows once enough pressure builds up it opens and allows fluid to go down and actually into his abdomen where it's reabsorbed by the body so um, actually it was the next day that we were released <laughs> so they had the brain surgery and they're like okay you can go home and we're like what <laughs> um, he's got literal wounds um, can you go to the next one now so this was him actually leaving. Um, I had to throw in a good one there. And then the next one. This was right before we left the hospital. So um, so clearly he's still got these incisions that we have to be mindful of. And they told us to watch for a fever, watch for um, all kinds of things, okay? Um, the percentage of shunt malfunction was high that it was supposed to technically probably malfunction in the first six months and then after that there's less of a chance that it will and so um, when they sent us home they didn't send us home to relax and say you're home now um, there's a period of time I don't remember because we were so eagle eye on him um, and really that's never stopped because the um, I'm going to fast forward so fast. So the heart, the first heart checkup that we had after we were released to go home, um, they found that his arch had re-narrowed and they needed to go in and open it up again. And so they did it emergency that day. And um, so that was kind of like, whew, okay. They said they could only do that two or three times then they were going to have to go back in and fix it again. So we're told all these things like, oh, my gosh. So we have to be watching to make sure that it doesn't re-narrow the, um, the arch. So there are signs that we can see outwardly um, as far as body temperature, all these things. Um, but anyway, I'd like to move on into the – okay. So when we got home, clearly it was a relief. We made it. Um, didn't think we were going to make it. There were many, many times that doubt was, uh, it was high. I will say in the first week was the strongest that I was spiritually, which was all the way up until they closed his chest after the surgery. He went um, wild with the recovery, and then I just started questioning all these things like, God, you said this, God, you said this. Um, but the whole time, whenever I would focus, <laughs> I knew that he was right there. And the thing that got me through was that first word that he gave me, you're going to take that sweet face home. The, um, the words that he had given before, and so that I'm going to go through a brief little thing there. But um, it was at the first, the first, uh, the second, anyway, in the first 24 hours that we were there, we were on the phone with Chester, and he said, um, you don't need anything new. Everything that you need is in you. And in that moment, I went, the Psalms that he gave me. And so briefly, while I was pregnant with Cohen, I was trying to seek the Lord about different things, and I just felt like I wasn't feeling him. But he wouldn't let me out of Psalms, and he kept he kept speaking to me through Psalms. And I didn't feel a whole lot of things because it didn't make a lot of sense in that moment. And um, then we get to children's, and I'm just going to give you a few examples um, I had written these down before he was born, okay? So, multiple psalms. I'm not going to give the reference. I'm just going to give you the, the line. You have been my help. 
Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exults and with my song I shall thank him. And so it's passage after passage after passage talking about him being a refuge, him being a strong fortress, um, all of these things, crying out to him when you're in desperation and in distress. And I'm like... You know, in the, in the moments of being pregnant, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And then, then I knew the Lord prepared me the entire pregnancy for that moment. And um, there were there are songs that have come out of that moment um, that happened before he was born. I'm telling you, the Lord did some beautiful things and um, answered prayers very very um, specific prayers, but whenever I got home, I was so emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually wore out, and I began asking questions that I was afraid to ask, and just being very real, I was questioning, like, how could you let this happen to us? We have been faithful. We have served you. We have loved you. I've spent my life wanting to be close to you. And in my flesh, I felt this is the thanks I get. Very fleshly, very selfish. And the Lord began working in my heart very quickly. And because um, I knew I don't want to be in this place. This is a scary place. And I've got to get out of here. But in the line of a song that the Lord gave me before he was born, I had said, Onward I will move, onward I will go, and onward I will fight. And I'm like, okay. So we were headed to his first pediatrician appointment with the new pediatrician, and there are songs playing in the background, and y'all, we are numb. Maybe that's the wrong word, but it feels like the right word. It was like, what do you even feel? I can't pray. Because, okay, he had a brain shunt. Like, that was a result of the heart surgery. Why couldn't you keep that from happening? That's the kind of thoughts I was having. And so um, I get we're on the way. This is a um, very hard time. We're not even speaking. We're just listening to music. And a song played, and I was like, that's my answer. So this is two weeks after we got home, something like that. But the chorus that hit me, it says, I will praise you on the mountain, and I will praise you in the mountains in my way. Um, you're the summit where my feet are. And I will praise you in the valley all the same. No less God within the shadows and no less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is in the heartache and the highlands all the same. And I went, oh. Okay. Praise. That was my answer. And uh, so as y'all are very aware, I hit it hard. <laughs> and so there was a whole lot, you know, personally that was happening as we were singing all of these praise songs last year. And um, I'm like, okay, well, this is the answer. Here I go. So in that process, I personally up and down, up and down all year. Because like I said, this has been an ongoing thing. This is things we're still watching him. There's things that we still need answers. And we need a healing or there will be a procedure. Okay, that's where we're at. And um, so I'm struggling all year. And then December hit, and my piano was tuned. And I gave a very small um, excerpt of what the Lord showed me in that moment. But that moment 
was the moment I needed. So uh, I'm going to share the personal side to it really fast. So the piano tuner comes in. He, um, he's hitting every note over and over and over. And I just, it was beautiful, y'all. I didn't know that could be so beautiful, but it was. And um, so I'm sitting there, and I'm, the Lord's speaking. And he's like, this is your life. This is what I'm doing. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and um, so I just kind of want to read exactly what was said, what, what he said to me. Because um, it was very, very impactful. But um, there have been several weeks and months of the Lord holding me in one thought process at a time. Repetition. All year. It was one thought process at a time. Just as the tuner is repeating note upon note over and over, all the way up the keyboard and back down, the Lord is fine-tuning areas of my life. It's like he's saying over and over, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Am I enough? Will you let go? of those moments, please rest, please be still, come know me, and um, I said, there are places he's hitting over and over, this is the repetition my soul needs, and this is the point that I have to stand on, it says, will I ever fully understand why Cohen's life began the way it did, no, I don't believe so, but I will forever be certain of the Lord's faithful tuning through the process, he is gentle and he is good, and so um, walking out of that, he is sustainer, and that's what I had to, to keep on. He is sustained. He sustained. He got Cohen to children's. All natural things point to the fact he shouldn't have made it to children's. And um, they told us the night that we got there, he would have died that night if we hadn't made it. So there, uh, there's lots of things that the Lord, he sustained Cohen when it made no sense. When medically, he should not be here. Medically, he should not be so coherent and aware. If you have conversation with him, he's uh, talking right back to you. So um, uh, he's so smart, and that should not happen, naturally speaking. And so the Lord showed me that that was his hand in this moment. And so, um, you know, sometimes you, you get the, the miracle that is like blow your mind. Sometimes he uses medicine. In this moment, he did both. He did both. So that's, that's where I'm at. I know it's after 12, but I have some things to share if y'all are okay with that. Okay. Um, if there's any encouragement I can give to all of you today, Hannah said it. The Lord sustains Psalms 3 says this, Lord, you are a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying out the Lord with my voice. He answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid. That first night, I had a dream. We had been, I say first night, it was the first time I slept. I don't know if it was daytime or nighttime. I was, 
I, we had been up for over 30 hours. Um, and in the dream, I was maybe asleep for maybe half an hour, maybe maybe 40 minutes or something. I was so exhausted. Um, but in the dream, there was an old pulpit kind of like this, but much more busted up. And I was in the middle of a field, and I look out in front of me, and there was a whole large group of people. And I knew that those were my ancestors and Cohen's ancestors, people in our genetic lineage and also his spiritual lineage. And all of them were shouting at the top of their lungs, life, life, in different languages. I would say life, and they would shout life. So that was the first sign that the Lord was with us for me. But this process, we were that children for six weeks. Even with this dream, even with all the encouragement we were getting from all of you, my mind still went to a dark place. You start asking questions, why, how in God's name could you, God, allow this to happen? Um, I owe you everything and you give me nothing, sort of thoughts. So in this line of thinking, I was being angry and, you know, when you're angry or upset, you find a song that really agrees with your emotions. And the song that I focused on in that moment, it's a song called uh, Judith by a band known as Perfect Circle. And I was very much agreeing with what it said, which was, you're such an inspiration for the ways that I will never, ever choose to be. Oh, so many ways for me to show you how your Savior has abandoned you. Screw your God, your Lord, and your Christ. He left you this way. Still you pray, never stray, never tasted of the fruit, never thought to question why. It's not like you killed someone. It's not like you drove a hateful spear into his side. And praise the one who left you broken down and paralyzed. He did it all for you. That was my line of thinking. And the Lord speaks in odd ways sometimes. Because immediately, I didn't have the album pulled up, but it was just autoplay, so was, the music was just coming on. So it's not like I picked the song, or it was, maybe at, at, the mo at the minimum, this is a coincidence. At most, this is the Lord speaking. The song that came on next was by the very same group, and it said, help me if you can. Because this is just not the way I'm wired. Can you please help me understand why you're giving in to these reckless, dark desires? You're lying to yourself again, you suicidal imbecile. Think about it and pound it on a fault line. What will it take to get it through to you, precious? Why do you want to throw it away like this? You're such a mess. I don't want to watch you disconnect and self-destruct one bullet at a time. That's <laughs> in that moment, so, 
sometimes I identify with the prophet Ezekiel because he's, you know, oftentimes he's addressed as human. And uh, in his visions that the Lord gave him, he was transported up into heaven by his hair. So I identify that with that. And after that song ended, I heard, boy, shut up. It's not by might or by power, but it is by my spirit. And I said, okay. Yes, sir. And even later, because it thought you get you get signs, you get messages, you get encouragement, but your mind still has a tendency to go back to your own vomit. So I was really, and I haven't talked about this at all. Hannah was out of town. Cohen was down for a nap. And I was in the living room raging because anger comes in waves. Asking why, 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 how dare you? And I heard in my head, you sound a lot like Job. Why don't you go look up what I said to him? So I go to Job 38. Because I'm asking why and how could you and why did this happen and what was the cause and yada, yada, things like that. In Job 38, the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. I don't think it was a rain drizzle or even a thunderstorm or probably full-scale hurricane type of storm, a maelstrom. God says to Job, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors <coughs> when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and I wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this is how far you may come and no further. Here is what your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning boy or shown the dawn its place? Have you ever journeyed to the springs of the sea? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take me to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered into the storehouses of snow? Or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserved for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of the rain? Does the rain have a father? From whose womb comes the ice? Can you bind the chains of the Pallades? 
Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? And he said again to me, it's not by your strength and it's not by your power. Everything that happened, your son was sustained by my spirit. He shouldn't have made it to Little Rock, but he did. He shouldn't have made it through surgery, but he did. So, boy, you're saying, how dare I? How dare you? So my encouragement for you today, in all of this, whatever you're going through, whatever you face, he will sustain. He sustained Cohen. You ever think, or if I ever think to doubt, think of Cohen. He shouldn't be here. Literally. Should be dead, according to the laws of nature. But not according to God's law. You're sick. He will sustain. If you're tired, he will sustain. If you're in a, a fight, he will sustain. If you're having trouble at home, he will sustain. If you're sick and in the hospital, he will sustain. You hear me today? Look me in my eyeballs. He will sustain you. He, the Lord sustains. In times of trouble, in times of plenty, the Lord sustains. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Can you just thank him with me? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So, thank you. 